Today's episode is brought to you by Anchorfish Printing. Hey, are you in a band? Do you run a label? Or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun. You should hit up Anchorfish Printing. They've been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I first met the owner, Michael, when my band Touche Amore started, and he was our go-to guy. You can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. Hello and welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week for episode 122 is Jesse Barnett of the band Stick to Your Guns. They just announced their 20 year anniversary shows here in Southern California at the infamous venue Chain Reaction. They put out a record earlier this year called Spectre, and his side project band Ways Away also put out an album this year called Torch Songs, which uh, I was invited to sing on. It was really cool of them to uh, have asked me. Uh, I'd never really met Jesse before, which was uh, interesting given our proximity. So this was a very cool way to get to know him. I want to let you know if you are new here that there is a bonus episode available right now where Jesse answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can hear that over at patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You get access to all of the previous bonus episodes, plus bonus radio hours. I do a show where I just play music and talk about music. That happens every other week here on the platform, but it happens every Sunday on the Patreon. Uh, there's a Discord channel, all sorts of stuff. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Also, if you enjoy this and it's your first time here, subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this. It helps oh so much. And uh, obviously leaving a positive rating and review is very helpful. So just wanted to throw all that out there. That's my spiel. I hope you had a nice uh, a little holiday season there. Um, we're coming up on New Year's. So I want to say Happy New Year early to everybody who's listening. Um, I hope it's safe. I hope you're safe. I hope you're happy. I hope you're healthy. And uh, I look forward to 2023. Got a lot of great interviews starting to line up. It's going to be a very cool year. And I look forward to uh, tackling all of those. Um, so yeah, without further ado, here's my conversation with Jesse Barnett. What's up, Jesse? How are you? Oh, man. Uh, hanging in there by a thread sometimes, but today's a good day. I, I woke up on the right side of the bed today, so I'm doing all right. <laughs> we like this. We like this. We like this. Um, How are you? How are you? That's most important. You know, the podcaster asks all the questions, but no one asks the podcaster questions. So how are you doing? <laughs> I'm okay. I appreciate that. Or the host, uh, I should say. Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, well, it's funny. I, I sometimes... Um, there's like some things I'm like, is that worth putting on the internet or not? But, um, <laughs> what I've, what I've been recovering from, 
um, which has been a, an uphill battle is, uh, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a staph infection? No, never, never. Um, but, um, I mean, I, I, I know about them just cause my father used to be a paramedic and worked with, with okay. the Red Cross and stuff. So he, these are things that he dealt with, uh, um, yeah. often, but anyway, I, I never personally have, so you're dealing uh, with that I, right now. I, yeah. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say, I don't recommend it. Um, <laughs> If you could avoid it at all costs, that'd be great. Um, yeah, I've been uh, I've been recovering from from it, and it's just been a long process and a long frustrating process. With uh, of course dealing with um, you know insurance and then uh, getting the right treatment and blah blah blah. Of so, course. So that's been uh, a, that's, of course <laughs> it's been just this lingering thing where I'm like I would really love for this to be over, um, of but course. it's not. So, but I'm on my way. I'm on my way, and this is like you know day. 11 or 12 or something like that so oh my god yeah that's that's been the fun thing here um but other than that i'm okay i'm happy to be (laughs) i'm happy to be doing something to distract me from that which is talking to you so uh, absolutely yeah Yeah, that's that's kind of like my lane i'm 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 a distraction so you know what i mean it's like (laughs) i fit in perfect here (laughs) are you um are you actually in la right now like do you live in la yeah i do yeah yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Are you near? Because I know you obviously you have the bookstore. We'll, we'll probably get to that a little later. But are you mm-hmm. like in that area, like near your bookstore? So it's funny because um, for people who don't know, La Brea. I mean, it's like many streets in Los Angeles, they they because it's, it's such a sprawling city, right? So these streets go for eternity. Um, and you can see the, uh, I can say like, oh yeah, I live on La Brea. Um, and that can mean all sorts of different things. Um, but like I live basically right above the 10 on La Brea and the bookstore is right below the 10 on, uh, right below the 10, um, on La Brea. And for, again, for those who are not familiar with Los Angeles, those can be, those are two pretty drastic worlds, even though, uh, they're within a very short distance of each other. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> absolutely absolutely and then yeah you just add uh unreasonable la traffic times and that that could also yeah exactly exactly 100 absolutely <laughs> um cool yeah and you're from long beach originally so i was born in long beach um yeah. and then i grew up in costa mesa and then um kind of around the time when the band started uh my my mom uh took us down to south orange county Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And you, and I also saw you spent some time living in Canada. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I lived in Montreal for about seven years. Oh, wow. What years? Yeah. What years of your life? Ooh, that's a good question. From, from like 22 or 23 to about, I mean, the last couple of years I've been in LA. So it's kind oh, of wow. like that, okay. that time. Okay, there. So- yeah, like majority of my twenties pretty much. Yeah. Okay. So it was adulthood when you were Yeah. Oh, in oh definitely. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, Had you already been there before because of touring, I'm assuming? Yeah, exactly. And it was kind of one of those things, and and I'm sure you can relate to this from being able to travel. And uh, generally, you only get to check out the the three square blocks around the venue. But uh, I knew (laughs) that's so people think like, oh, touring, you get to travel. It's like, ah, Uh sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. But yeah, Montreal was always like – like our guitar player Chris lives in Windsor from he's, he's Canadian and he calls Montreal shitty Europe because he's just like it's it's like Europe but not but not you know what I mean sure. um but that was one of the reasons I really loved it like I it, it had a cultural it was culturally significant to me I guess I should say like it if it, it was the first time where it's like oh well you're still in North America but this genuinely feels like a far away place totally. um 
so from when I was really like when I first started touring with Six Year Guns, I was like, I love this city. So I, I always loved it. And then I ended up dating a, a girl from there. And that's what kept me there. And then even after we broke up, uh, I, I stayed because I just I always sure. loved the city and I just fell in love with it even more living there. So yeah, leaving no, was I, a hard thing to do, but but I love L.A. as well. So sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. I could. It's so funny. I feel I've been I, I've said for a long time, like, I think I feel more foreign in French in like French Canada than I do in actual France. Oh, like definitely. It's, it, it's hard to describe, but uh, it really does feel like uh, it's not North America. <laughs> no, for sure. And I love it because like even the, even the French and the, and Quebecois, like they have beef with each other, you know what I mean? And like over like what's, you know, what's real French culture and all that kind of shit, which I just don't care either way, but right. I love the beef of it as a spectator sport. Um, like I, I love to watch them try to out snob each other when really like obviously French, France is like the, the actual, you know, like that's the snobbier one. But the reason why I love Montreal and Quebec in general is because it's just like white, it's like white trash, like French people, you know what I mean? It's like farmer, farmer type of people. And the dial, the Quebec dialect is, is, is hilarious to me. Cause it's like French with like a twang, like a, you know what I mean? Like this, the same kind of twang that you would use in the South, but it's like, but with French it's so I, I find it sure. really endearing, you know what I mean? And yeah. they're all just, you know, they're just working class French Canadian type of folks is, is the area that I was, is the, that I was in at least. And I, I, it, they also have that New York kind of like chip on my shoulder shit, which I which I find also very endearing. I love that, um, yeah. and so I uh, I fell in love with everybody. So totally, <laughs> just, totally. just the people I love them. So did uh, yeah. did stick to your guns ever do or have you guys ever done any like of the Maritime stuff for since you were spending time like I guess kind of closer to the Maritimes area like the like the Nova Scotia's or the the Newfoundlands or anything like that. No, and it sucks because it's like we pride ourselves on going places that a lot of people don't go. Um, yeah, just because we love to do that. We lo- it's like oh, it's you know like a hole in the middle of nowhere. Like fuck yeah, let's go play. Um, but that's one we've never done, and it's one I've I've really wanted to do, and hopefully we can get there. Uh, we can get there soon. But we've never really gone east of Quebec City. Sure. Yeah, and bands rarely do. We had uh, God. It was at this point. It was like oh, probably over ten years ago. But like we had that thing where we were in between two tours and kind of stuck on the East Coast. Like we saw <laughs> we were going to be stuck on the East Coast between a Europe tour and then like a like a U.S. tour starting on the East Coast. So we're like, why drive all the way back to L.A.? I don't only have to drive back. Right. So we were like, I was sitting in our booking agent's office and we just were looking at a map and, and we were just like, we won't go there. <laughs> And just figured it out. Like we played, uh, we played, I think it was called like the Moncton Jazz Festival, <laughs> yes, which dude. we had no business being on. Uh, we played in a tent and it was pouring rain to basically a guy eating a sandwich. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was incredible. But like we ended up doing like Newfoundland, which was like some of the craziest travel. Like you have to take a ferry that I think was like 10 hours and then you have to drive like 12 hours from one yep. side of the island to the other. But Canada's it was fucked up, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome though. And I'm glad that you, you, you rarely find the bands who were kind of like, oh, okay, let's go where no one does. You know what I mean? Sure. So it's like, I, I love that shit. Playing Halifax, Halifax was like super awesome. Let me ask you this. Cause this is a fun thing about, about Canadians in general. And something that I find very endearing is that <laughs> I can very rarely trust when someone gives me an idea of time of uh, getting to somewhere. So yeah. <laughs> 
you'll have someone be like, oh yeah, it's like a two hour drive. And then it's like a seven hour drive or someone will say it's a seven hour drive and it's a two hour drive. Of course. I, it's, I, I don't know what that phenomenon is. Um, yep. But I've come to just say, I'm going to check my phone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's something that happens to me now in, in my day-to-day life. It's like, oh, someone will be like, they'll ask me like, hey, do you know how to get to wherever? And then they start giving me directions. And I'm, I sit through it, but I'm like, what are you doing? We all have the technology. You don't need – just tell me the place and I'll get there. It's amazing. Let's see that's, what I mean. That's my dad. That's my dad for sure. My dad um, has just – he won't accept that, I, that the phone is going to just easily tell me where to go. Um, like he, he always drives cross country to, cause, uh, he has a, a place out in Missouri. So he'll, and he does that drive a lot and he'll always just be like, oh, well you're starting to tour. Which way are you going? You're taking this freeway to this freeway to this freeway. And I'm just like, I'm going wherever the phone is going to tell me to go. Yes. It's Straight probably going to be that. Like, Straight up. I mean, it's like that SNL skit, the, the Californians, which yes. if, if no one's seen it, I suggest you do. It's hilarious. But um, yeah, exactly. It's 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 just like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, well, let me ask you this. When you were growing up, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played in the house, but something that like, you know, sure. you found on your own and made you kind of feel like you were starting to have your own musical identity. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So it definitely wasn't punk or hardcore. And and the reason I bring that up is because um, I, I had I had a troublemaker or have I have a troublemaker half sister who had to come live with us uh, when she was in her late teens. Um, she was from my father's previous marriage and she lived in Florida at the time or somewhere over there. Um, and so she came out to California and lived with us. And I loved her just simply because like I was also I just had the same kind of energy just like you know what I mean? Just troublemaker, you know, I'm like, don't climb the fence. Of course, I'm going to go climb the fence. You know what I mean? Like that, just that kind of shit. Like, and so her and I obviously related on that. And she was, she should, you know, from, from when I was still in diapers, you know what I mean? She's showing us me and my older brother, like Sepultura, Slayer, uh, Black Flag, Straight Face, like all, all of these crazy, these crazy bands, which at that time I was like, this shit sucks. You know what I mean? Like I, I I'm yeah. a child like this. I have no relation to this at all. Yeah. Um, but like I remember my first like album that I like like obviously I didn't I was too young I didn't have a job but my mom bought me that I wanted was like do you remember like the Jock Jams compilations Oh yeah 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 like one of those like that was like my first like oh this is mine you know what I mean but obviously at the same time it's like it wasn't really mine because it was just a compilation of just like whatever was popular C&C at the time music factory. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. But it's like, I felt like it was kind of like, you know, I had the same kind of feeling when you got like, um, those early like fat record samplers where it's like, you felt like you were truly discovering something. Like you felt like you were on, like you were blazing the trail of like, you know, when you got those samplers, you you felt like your whole world was opening. And I I remember the, the, the jock jams, the jock jams, uh, comp, <laughs> very felt felt very similar to me, even though it was like, yeah, this is just popular music. Um, yeah. So that was like my first thing, and that's what I was rocking when my sister was like listening to her blaring loud music in in uh, or, like from yeah. the garage or wherever she was staying at the time. Um, but yeah, I'm sure and it then, also had th- this is how we do it. Definitely had to have been. Oh on there. my god! Like, here's the thing: bangers. There are bangers on that on those yeah. Josh himself. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I, it's funny we were just talking about it at a at band practice. Um, I love that new noise because of uh, because of Friday Night Lights. Uh, new noise <laughs> from Refused is now like it's an undeniable jock jam. Of, of undeniable. Course. 
Of course. And it's everywhere. I mean, there was another show or a movie maybe we just went the and bear. saw. The oh, bear. that's it. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. The bear. Yeah, 100%. I was like, of course. You know what I mean? I, like, <laughs> of course. It's perfect. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> I, love, I love that we had like Harm's Way t-shirt refused and then Power Trip t-shirt uh, more refused. But then in the third episode, uh, I think there was a Counting Crow song. I was like, who wrote this show? Me? Like, this is... I'm in. I'm so in. Um, no, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, I think it was okay. made for our type of person, honestly, that totally. show. It's great. Yes, totally. Uh, it was a great show. Did, uh, so once you, once you, I'm a, like, I'm just painting a picture that you're probably someone who is like, as a kid is like, probably like blasting that jock jams thing, playing, playing video games. Like, oh, of course, it's just of a course. good soundtrack for that type of stuff. Um, 100%. So you mentioned you had the older sister who, uh, obviously liked alt music between metal and, and punk and things like that. Did uh, So was there a point when all of a sudden it did perk your ear and you were like, okay, now I do, now I am interested in this? And what do you think that was that made you shift? So I, I just love, like, I grew up in a very musical household and, like, I'm super grateful for that. Like, my parents just, like, loved listening to music, all kinds of music, you know what I mean? And it's, like, everything from, like, like, you know, Graceland, Paul Simon's Graceland, like is going to be a number one for me for eternity, just because it's like, I mean, it, and and I know like that it's so funny because that album gets like brought up as it's as a, as if it's some sort of underground album, but it's like, it was the, you know, it sold a b- bajillion copies, you know what copies, I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And so it's, that's not like exclusive to my household. I'm sure you had a very similar thing in your household at the, at the time when that when that came out, but we listened to it forever. Like, like, you know, it was popular obviously at the time when it came out and then it just went on just for decades and decades and decades in my household. So that, you know, I had like such a deep connection with that album, but, but anyway, I just love big, gigantic, melodic songs, especially songs that have a lot of instrumentation. Like that's what I was really drawn to at the time is really interesting sounds and like all these different kinds of things. And so when I think when I listened to metal, I I don't think I had a developed enough like um, taste or like palette or even just experience with music to, to truly appreciate like that style. And so that's why I think when I first heard it, I was turned off, I guess, or just like I was, uh, I didn't care. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't really give a shit. I was like, okay, well, where's the, like, where's the, Where's the payoff? Where's the, you know what I mean? Like, where's the yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it didn't, I didn't, I couldn't hear any hooks. I couldn't hear it. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I couldn't understand the songwriting. Like that, that's, that's like, I connected so deeply to songs because like, I always kind of, I think I had a, that kind of analytical mind when listening to a song, like, how did they do that? Or where did like, Oh my God, that was really interesting. Or like all that kind of stuff instead of just listening, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think, th- and then I think the, sorry to, to, to answer your question, when my brother started going fat records or the skate punk route, um, like a lot of gen Xers, uh, they, that's what really, that when I got on that path is when that's what led me to, to, okay. to, to hardcore and metal and punk and things like that. Like when I listened to propaganda or when I listened to no effects or when I listened to any of those, like kind of those like fat bands around that early nineties or mid nineties time. Um, I think that's what ultimately led me to, to, to hardcore and punk. Cause I found propaganda and then that led me to like bands like the descendants and then bands like the descendants led me to like, I don't know, dag nasty. And then dag nasty led me to other, you know what I mean? It's just like, you know how it goes. You just, one door leads to another and you just go through them all. Um, yeah. 
especially if you're someone who's actually like genuinely excited about music, which is very obvious that you were one of those kids. It, it, sure. it wasn't just something to to listen to just to pass the time. It obviously seemed like something you wanted to sure um, connect on a deeper level with. And yeah, it's like if you're if you're true gateway ends up being something that is melodic it does make sense that it connected with you and then you know probably opened you up to hearing things a little less melodic oh for sure 100 100 and like and also like hardcore especially when you get into like the dag nasties or like i mean i know there's a lot of debate on whether descendants are a hardcore band or not but i i consider them that uh to be a hardcore band sure they're they they really or or let's say even for example like a band like battery um or even like touche, really. It's like you 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 walk that line at least vocally of like melodic and not melodic, and so that was like the perfect like you know when you're putting the goldfish in the new tank and you got to like you got to get the pH balances right. You know what I mean? It's like that was my bands like that were really the gateway into even heavier kind of or like more like uh, straightforward types of hardcore just because like I needed that like no it can also be melodic too. You know what I mean? Like getting right. the pH balances right and then I could go fully into like just just like you know the dying fetuses of the world you know what i mean and that, <laughs> then that then that shit started blowing my mind and you know what i mean so yeah um, yeah no that's an interesting it's an interesting point i feel like a lot of times also it could just be attitude which um would make me want to put a band into the into the word hardcore i mean i remember even just like the first time i heard thursday call themselves a hardcore band i was yeah. like sure like I, I'm not <laughs> like yeah why not like why not like I I, I would I, you know I would compare them more to that than you know some other bands so uh, I remember that being interesting but a funny story that just popped in my a funny thing that just popped in my mind uh, I believe he's a mutual friend of ours Walter from Rotting Out yeah, um, yeah I remember he was I think working at Chain Reaction one night when Touche played this is you know probably ten years ago at this point um, and Walter was like hey what kind of music would you say you guys play. <laughs> And I was like, I don't know, man. I call. I guess I just call ourselves like a hardcore band. And the look he gave me was so funny. He just looked at me like as if that was the last thing he would ever want to call us. It was the. I, I really appreciated it. It made me laugh really hard. I was like, that's he's, awesome. He. I mean, we've toured with Riding Out too, and and he he says he's always said the same thing, and it's like to us where he's just like, I watch you guys play, and you're a hardcore band, but then yeah. I go and listen to your album. And you're not, you know what I mean? Like he'll say shit like that to us. And I'm just like, you're the best. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think that that's where like stick to your guns has been, has become very confusing as well for, for a lot of folks, just because it's like, you know, we have, we have like Chris from who's in walls of Jericho writing a lot of the music. So it comes off with that like metallic hardcore sound. But then like, like I was saying, it's like, I love, like I fuck so heavy with a, just a big chorus. You know what I mean? Like, I just love that shit. Like I I always have back to the jock jam days. Like I fucking just love, you hit me with a big chorus and I'm just like, let's fucking go. You know what I mean? Um, and so I, I, I do my best to try to incorporate that part of me. Cause it's like, I love that shit. I mean, my favorite band is Godspeed You Black Emperor. And it's like, I love this like artsy kind of like. Um, Big crescendos. Yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, I love that world uh, as, a, as a fan because it's not anything I don't think I would necessarily be interested in doing as an artist. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like, that's where I get that 
I, I get my like artsiness just from being a fan of like all those like kind of like post rock bands. Like I love that shit. But when it comes to like shit that I want to do, like I just love big giant choruses and I love that kind of that kind of stuff. And so Six Year Guns try to mix tries to mix those things. Um, and so it, we become very confusing. But I, I do call us the number one gateway band for like getting kids from metalcore into hardcore. Like it's yeah. crazy over the 18 to 20 years of us being a band, like the amount of people who have entered hardcore through stick to your guns has been, has been awesome. And so those fringe bands I do think are super important. Like what I was saying, like I needed those dag nasties or those batteries or like, you know, I needed that, that kind of band before I, so I could go from jock jams (laughs) or boys to men as well, which is another, I loved when I was younger. I needed that to go from there to, you know, totally Jock jams, fringe band jock jams battery dying fetus that's my <laughs> yeah i i also love you love that you you like uh embrace the being the gateway band i think that there's a lot i think you know we're i think there's like a band like that every few years that you can point to mm-hmm. um you know i i i can remember when um certainly have heart was one of those like there's yeah. a lot of kids who we're into metalcore and, and all of that, or maybe into like the warp toury stuff and then have heart hit. And that became like a huge, one of those things that then showed kids like the bridge nine world and things like that. Um, all I certainly think touche was one of those bands for at least. Oh, for sure. Um, for sure. But, yeah, what, but what I will say is like have heart and touche is like, you guys always did your thing. You know what I mean? Where it's like stick to your guns is a little bit also a little bit all over the place as far like sonically, like yeah. half hearts kind of always been half heart and touche has always been touche where like stick to your guns over, over the last 15 years, we've kind of had this, like, you know, we, we, sure. we, we, we go all over the place and like, yeah. I feel like it goes stick to your guns is how they enter. And then they really latch on to a band, like, like half heart, you know what I mean? Because like half yeah, heart is just yeah, straight yeah. up a hardcore band, you know totally. what I'm saying? And it's like, I remember when I first heard half heart, like the like demo or like seven inch or whatever it is they put out before that LP. Yeah. I've, I was like, oh, this is awesome. You know what I mean? And I know that they didn't really like the the Strife comparisons or anything like that, or, or, or maybe that's not what they were trying. But like, yeah. I loved Strife as well uh, growing up. And so I was just like, this is amazing. It's but the it's, West Coast in you. Exactly. <laughs> but like when I went to school and I saw the most random people of my life wearing have heart shirts, I was just like, oh, oh, no. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah. you, you feel a little bit like your thing is being taken away from you. You know what I Absolutely. mean? Absolutely. Which is interesting because it's like Six Year Guns was a band. And if I came to school and I saw people wearing Six Year Guns shirt, I'd be pumped. But, <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> but you know, it is. Yeah. What was, uh, what was the first concert you went to? Propagandy. Uh, on, really? Uh, it was Propagandy in a veil at the Glass House. Um, Today's Empires, I think, was the was the album they were touring on. So that would have been like 2000, maybe. Like that was the first one that I would say, like, like that was my first. Like my brother played in punk bands growing up, and actually his punk his band and Thrice were like friends with each other. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so like I would go to sh- like I. It's funny because it's like yeah, I get my first like show was probably a Thrice show, but it this is when Thrice was a local band. You know what I mean? Drawing maybe yeah. 40 people, maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, but, like, my first, like, big show, like, you know, walking into the glass house, like, that's a big moment, you know what I mean, for the yeah. first time. Um, especially, you know, when you're too – when, you know, a, a, according to my mom, I was too young to be going to shows. 
uh, yet. So this was one where my brother like snuck me out. We went and saw Propaganda. So that was like a that that was like the first like really special moment where I felt like I'm going against I'm going against mom. My brother's sneaking me out. I got school tomorrow. I'm at the show. This is I'm doing this on like this is I'm doing this for me without permission, yeah. without anything else. Like even my brother's shows that I went to growing up, it's like I still had to get mom's permission. Like you know, I'm, and my poor fucking brother because it's like he probably had to babysit me the whole time while dealing with the stress of a show. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. I, I couldn't. I don't even like hanging out with my friends at a local show. Just it's, <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? It's just, I feel like I'm too stressed out or whatever. So yeah, you know, he was a uh, he was a he was a patient kid. I was trying to think of um, venues that would have maybe been around when you were when it was that. Age. Do you remember? Uh, did you ever go to shows at Hoagie Bar Michaels? That was, was probably Huntington Beach. Year, that was our local, like stick to your guns before we were even allowed to play chain. Yeah. Cause we were too, we were, you know, we just weren't big enough. Hoagies was like the place. The, I probably played there like 16 times, dude. Okay. Crazy time out of time. So. Yeah. And it was going, so funny because it's the bar across the street from the airport. So you just have like a random pilot in there and it's like stick to your guns on stage, just like doing the worst shit that young teenage people can be doing on stage. And he's probably just like, oh my God, get me out of here. But yeah, dude, I I went to a few shows there because it was that's like that's an interesting point. It did kind of feel like if Chain was maybe booked, people were then moving mm-hmm. the shows there. Like I remember I saw Curl Up and Die in like Darkest Hour there or something Holy like that. Shit, which is like, dude. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember there's this band that was supposed to play that i was i i was um, i was pals with the curl up and die guys and i liked that was definitely the era of darkest hour i really fucked with because i would have been like so sedation mark judas and uh oh hidden hands era those perfect are darkest hour, hour records yeah. yeah uh but there was this band um called minus that was on uh victory records that I, I always talk about it as this like total loss to time, man. Cause there ended up being a band called Minus for, from here in Southern California that yeah, yeah, exactly. was on Triple B and stuff like that. But like, but it's, so band, it's not that band. It's a different no, band. No, it's not that band. This band okay. was from <laughs> Iceland. And I think there was a connection with the Sugar Cubes, which is interesting. And the fuck. So they put out two records on Victory. They're a hardcore the, band? Dude, the first one is called <laughs> Jesus Christ Bobby. And it's so fucking abrasive. Like it sounds like it came out around the same time as Jane Doe. And it's super similar. Like it's really? so hyper aggressive, like almost kind of botchy at times too. But yeah. like I was working at a record shop in Burbank. So I got a promo of it just from victory. And I remember just listening to it being like, what the fuck is this band? And then they were supposed to go on that tour with darkest hour and, uh, and play at Hoagie bar Michaels. And that's why I specifically went out there. Cause I was like, this band's from Iceland. Like they're never going to come. And apparently, like, one of the members, like, broke their arm the day they were supposed to fly. So they didn't end up making the tour. So, like, they I don't know if they ever even came over here. <laughs> but, shit, dude. Yeah. Dude, I, gro- like, you working in a record store, that, that must have just been, like, it was insane. Yeah, yeah. It must have been. It, yeah. Especially during that era because that's, you know, CDs are still selling. So, um I was like the buyer for punk and hardcore. So like all the labels were just like sending all oh their my God. You know, promo CDs and advanced copies or whatever. So I felt like I had my ear to the ground with like everything all these labels were doing at the time for, for better or worse. You know? What was your, what was your criteria? You think like at that age, that Jeremy, 
Yeah. What was your and, – and you seem to be the same kind of person where it's like I'm sure you have your levels of snobbery, but I also think that you you can probably keep a pretty open mind to things. So when you would get a new – when you would keep – when you would get a new album, right, of a band you yeah. never heard before, let's say, for example, this band, like what were things that you were looking for? Like what was your criteria? Like what 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 boxes had to be checked for, for it to get the, the, the stamp of approval? Well – Or, I, or yeah. what, the stamp of like this is corny. Sure. Uh I mean, the snobbery side of me, like all like I because I was a buyer, like I would bring stuff in just because I would hope it would just, you know, sell so, to help out the, the the labels or whatever. Of else. course. But like I was always, you know, re, you'd get sent like the one sheets and it'd be always interesting to like see maybe who recorded the record. Right. Um, you know, it'll always say for fans of, but I always feel like even to this day, those are always kind of a stretch. Um, oh yeah. Oh, always yeah. a stretch. <laughs> Because you can tell that the band suggested it usually, and they're just like, "Like, get the fuck out of here!" You can't like, you'll see a band be like, "For friend, for fans of Dillinger Escape Plan and Godspeed, you Black Emperor." Where exactly. you be like, "You're like, dude, come on, There's get only out of here!" One of both of those bands, and they cannot be replicated. So just shut the fuck up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, they probably ended up sounding like Finch. Where you're just like, yeah, "No, yeah. Dude, that's, that's not oh, at all man. what this is." That is amazing. This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. For me personally, and, I, and, I, and this does dip into the snobby side for like something I would connect with, and I'm curious how you feel about this, um, because we are both in bands uh, that yell, uh, sure. I can always, I feel like I have a pretty good barometer of if something is honest by the way the vocalist screams like sure. as weird as that might sound like i think that there is a very uh fine line between you're screaming in this band because that's what the genre expects you to do and you're screaming in this band because that's what the genre expects you to do and you mean it right so like so I, you know pretty quickly like one song into a record i could be like this is something I can connect with because, or maybe it's not even something I can connect with, but I appreciate it because I can tell this person means it. And right. that to me is always what kind of steers my interest in, in a band, whether I'm into them or not, it just kind of makes me want to support them one way or another. I don't know if that makes sense. 1000%. And I think that's something that we both probably have to apply because it's almost in a weird way. And, and I hate to use this word and maybe you can think of a better word for me, but it's like, I, I don't want to say it's like acting in the sense of like you're being fake, but it's like acting in the sense of the craft of acting where it's like, you, like for six to your guns, for example, this might be too, such a, a long way of saying this. So I apologize. But for stick to your guns, for example, we, we almost apply this because it's like, we, we will have songs that are like, whoa can we can we pull this off and the and and the end of the day we all just say like as long as we're it's coming from a real place and it isn't some sort of shit that we're like trying to achieve uh, another level of fandom or like sell records or any of that shit as long as it's real 
then we feel like, okay, then we, we can do this. For example, we just released a song called Open Up My Head, and it's by far the most different thing we've ever done. But people are connecting with it. And I think a lot of that is because of like what you said, that, that like genuine, like that genuine um, feeling that you have to get across and much like in acting, it's like you have to convince the people who are watching whatever show that you mean what you're doing. And I think that for a lot of actors, like they have to, they have to pull something real out in order to be able to portray that and be genuine in what they're doing. Um, and so it's like, I, I, there's been multiple times in the studio and maybe, I don't know if this happened to you where I got to be like, I can't do this today. You know what I mean? Like I'm just not there. I'm not there in my head. I'm not there in my heart. Um, uh, and so it's like, because it's, it is important. Like I, I want to make sure that if, if I am getting behind the microphone and I'm going to, okay, it's like, okay, this is going out for everybody to hear. And you wrote this. So it's like, let make them believe it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that, that is important. It's, it's really important. And I'm the same way. Like there's just straight up, there's music that I don't listen to that. I don't even really necessarily enjoy, but I'm like, they, they mean what they do. You know what I mean? So it's totally. like, that that should be like that's the prerequisite for me. You know what I mean? I always joke that there should be like a uh, a board of people who get to decide who gets to be in bands and who doesn't. You know what I mean? Because there's just too much music, I think, nowadays. But but to me, the, just my a questionnaire <laughs> exactly. But also, you know, like an application, you have to apply for it. You know what I mean? And like you know, you get to you know, it gets sent to these people, and they have to decide. Okay, yeah, you can pursue this or not. And that's not even like a snobbery thing. It's more of just like a I, if you're gonna do it, like if you're gonna be a band, don't make me sift through shit. Like, don't make me sift through bands that don't even like doing what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like show me the bands that love what they're doing and I still might hate it, but at least they believe in it. And at least that they're convincing me that they love what they're doing. So. Absolutely. No, I, I completely agree. And, and, uh, to, to mention that song, you just did like the, a, the music video for that song was pretty awesome. Uh, Oh, I mean, that that was, that was really fun. That was Ian. Ian, Ian's awesome. So (laughs) wait, which Ian military gun. Oh, Ian Sheldon. Oh, awesome. That's cool. I didn't realize he did that video and he did a good job. Yeah, he's great. Uh, but uh no what i was gonna say is like I, you know i was that was the first song that i heard from this record knowing i was also gonna be talking to you um so i pulled up that video and i was taken back i was like wow this is not sonically what i was expecting but i actually, sure but but I, I got stoked on it because to me it didn't register and this is not me blowing smoke it 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 didn't register as uh stick to your guns trying to write radio hook song it took me right. it took me as uh, guy like dudes and stick to your guns writing a song from playing music that they probably actively listen to taking influence right. from like more of that sort of stuff than what they act actively listen to 100 so I, I felt yeah i felt like i felt like that was like not an awkward sonic shift it sounded it felt pretty natural because you're writing a song that you know you all would probably enjoy on your own if it was not your band no, 100%. And it's like, for example, even like for that, for that kind of song, like, let's say for, for example, like you're obviously f- vaguely familiar with ways away. Like if, if, if that was a ways away song, I would have done something completely different, like melodically singing over yeah. that, you know what I mean? But like, I wanted to make sure I tried to still keep it in that vein of like, this sounds like a hardcore song, or at least it has a hardcore, like, uh, uh, performance you know what i mean like yeah. it has a it has a hardcore it's like uh it's it's representing itself as 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 hardcore yeah. you know what i mean and so that was that was that, that that this literally what you said was the debate within the band we were we we got the finished product and we were like 
can we do this? And I was like, I mean, the, the, the question ultimately ended up being, it's like, do, do we as the band buy it? You know what I mean? Like, do you buy it? And we bought it. And so like, we, we, we put it right. It's like smack dab in the middle of the record. And you know, the, the feedback has been awesome. It just, and it hasn't been like, oh, this is them trying to go for it or whatever it is. You know what I mean? It's like, and I, and I, and I think that what that is, is, is the, the genuine nature of, of what it is coming through. Um, I mean, yeah, it's funny. We just talked about Ian, but like the, like that song feels closer to like in the world of a military gun, obviously. But, and at the same time, you look at military gun and you listen to military gun, you're like, this obviously doesn't sound like a hardcore band, but you can tell (laughs) this is hardcore kids making this music. Yep. So, yeah. And that's what was always, I love that. I love when hardcore bands go off and make not, I mean, like, Power Trip is a great example of that, or like, um, or what, uh, Gate Creeper is another great example of that. Like, I was just thought, you, you, you know, Rolly. Uh, it's funny. We, we do and we don't. I've known, sure. <laughs> we've known who each other is. Uh, I just saw him at a show because, uh, he was playing in what band is he playing? Brian's oh, band, the new like death metal band that Brian has, uh, from Zabalbo. Was that because I know he was playing with them? Uh, Orange, Orange band with Keith Barney. Oh yeah, uh, um, and Cameron. Um, and Cameron, yes. Yeah, Duca. Duca. Okay, I yeah, probably would have yeah, also. Yeah. I, I would have. It was. It was a part of my head. I would have been like, I don't know if I know how to properly say this. Oh uh, sure, I, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I saw him there, and we had a quick hello or whatever. But um, yeah, we. I don't think we've ever had like a one-on-one conversation ourselves. But we we obviously exist in the same world, and we you know we'll give each other the nod and the high five. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and he's yeah. been he's been involved in. In I'm like close just, with the dangers guys, you know, what exactly, I'm saying? exactly. Because of that, yeah, exactly. And that's exactly that's that's Rolly's crew. He's like a um, encyclopedia when it comes to like metal, like the metal side of things. You know what I mean? Sure. Like he's like a j- classically trained jazz guy. You know what I mean? Like he's he's just existing on another plane, just yeah. floating above all of us. Um but uh he loves metal. Like that's his world. And we were talking about that, about how I'm I'm like um the difference between black metal and thrash metal and what's death metal and what, you know, the, the, all the bands in between and shit. And he was saying, we were talking about how we love it when like hardcore kids play metal because it almost like brings another element to like the metal world might consider that corny or whatever. Like, you know, you're not, you weren't birthed out of like a metal demon or whatever, but hardcore kids playing metal to me, I love that shit. Cause it, it brings that, it brings a level of like, you know what I mean? Some this that hardcore thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that yeah, essence, yeah, yeah. That's hard to that's hard to describe. And um, and what I always so, find so interesting about that too, though, is that <clears throat> the metal world, the actual metal world, very rarely I feel like embraces. Oh, one hundred percent. Because the metal, like true metalheads, can like smell out a hardcore kid in two seconds. True. Um, but obviously, hardcore kids love to support those bands and and, you know what i'm saying like because they're doing all the things that they love about metal but there is the hardcore tinge in it and you can and you feel that in whether they just like kind of add their own breakdown to it whatever it could be but what what i always thought was so especially special about power trip was i feel like they were one of the very few bands that did break through they and got it, it they ascended in a way that yes. no other like metal band produced from our world has been able to do and and um 
you you could you could see that plain as day. You know what I mean? Like you could see like oh shit, like they they truly made that like I don't want to say genre switch because I was I think I was at Power Trip one of Power Trip's first shows because um six year guns was playing in san antonio i think and uh bitter end was playing down the street and they're i mean to this day one of my favorite hardcore bands um and power trip was opening and i remember i I had the first seven inch and everything and i went and saw them and and they sounded metal but i was like these are hardcore kids like it it blew my mind like i was just like holy shit what is this and i immediately went and bought the seven inch but um yeah they they really made the shift because whatever that metal essence that I, that I think that uh, maybe a lot of hardcore kids lack, but try to make up for an aesthetic. Um, I think that those dudes really had it, you know what I mean? And like, just maybe, maybe being from Texas is a massive help in that. I don't know who knows, but they, they really had that thing that you need to, to, to be accepted by that world. You know, I saw them open for them and gate creeper open for cannibal corpse and both those bands blew cannibal corpse off the stage. (laughs) And also like, I remember Riley being like, yo, who here has heard of power trip or seen power trip and like, uh, or like who, or no, sorry, who here hasn't. And like almost the whole place raised their hand. And by the end of the set, the entire place was like banging their head. And I remember talking to Riley after, and he was like, this is the best we've ever done in merch. Like this is crazy. So it's it's just cool to see. It sucks to being Cannibal Corpse in that position because a you're you're probably just tired just from doing what you've been doing since you know Ace Ventura yeah. or whatever you know what I mean. Like, right. like, yeah, like yeah, yeah, Cannibal yeah. Corpse has just had a, a a career that is just insane, and yeah. then you put this these new young hungry energetic like, yeah. so much energy. You put these two bands on before you, it's like, oh man, you are asking for like an uphill battle. You know, what I mean? totally. But, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a gnarly juxtaposition. It's like all of this energy, and then Cannibal Corpse stands in in one exactly. place and just bangs their head. So, exactly, yeah. dude. It's but like, they don't. They, you know, they kind of demand the respect, so they don't really need it. Course. You know what I mean? But but still, it's it's uh, the energy shift. I'm sure is is was crazy. Totally. Um, so you, I know you play, uh, you play instruments. Um, were you, well, I'm going to start with this. Uh, what was the first instrument you ever played? Piano. Um, I think just because, yeah, we had, we had one just laying around. And when I say play, like I'm, I'm, I, I make sure to, to, to emphasize this. Like I'm not a guitar player. I'm a guy who plays guitar. You know what I mean? Like I'm not a piano player. I'm a guy who can play piano. You know what I mean? Like the, these are all of my, um, relationships with all of my instruments like i can i you know i can play bass i can play drums i can play you know like i i've you know i i bought a cello one time off of craigslist and like i fucked around with that i'm just like kind of that kind of i like to explore you know what i mean and just see what i can what i can do but um guitar (laughs) piano and drums i would say are the three that i i mostly and did you play say like guitar or drums in bands before you sang in a band or were you singing in a bands pretty early on? So, um, classic little brother, anything my big brother would do, I was like, yeah, I'll just, just double it and I'll just do that. You know what I mean? Like you make our personality and I'll just be whatever it is you say. (laughs) And, and he hated that obviously. Cause he's like, Hey, I just want to be my own person. That would be sick. Um, but unfortunately that was never in the cards for him. So he was like, Hey, I'm going to go take uh, guitar lessons. And I was like, great. Sounds cool. I'll do it. I'll do it too. Um, and then he was like, dude, no, like let me do one thing on my own. And then he convinced me to play drums. He was like, so at least we can play together. You know what I mean? Like we can do it together. Um, and so drums was like the first instrument that I did. Um, and I actually played me and my brother played in like this metal core band that was trying to rip off. I don't know, probably 
bleeding through or, you know, some, or, 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 um, honestly darkest hour. Like I know we were just talking about it. Um, yeah. Cause that was also really big. Like, do you remember that band fallen angel? They were from Orange yeah. County. Yes. Rolly was yeah. Rolly was in that band as well. And so it's okay. like we would play Stick Your Guns would play with like Fallen Angel and shit at at Hoagies, actually. Um Yeah. Or like that uh, would be like a big show for us. Fucking as hope dies was exactly. another very Orange see, County. See? Exactly. Yeah. That yeah. that was the kind of shit that like I was doing um playing drums in. You know, like the all that fucking kind of shit. So okay, so what was uh what was the first show you ever played then? Oh man. There was like in South Orange County, I remember there was like this RV park. Um the Orange County scene is so weird because you would have like these random kids who would like obviously you had like the Anaheim kids or the Santa Ana kids, um who were like just normal of work normal working class families. And then you would have these people who were like, Oh, my dad owns an RV park. And it's like, you know what I mean? It's like some millionaire kid. Um and so like there was a there was a show at an RV park that this kid's dad owned who he obviously very quickly regretted that decision the father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh that was one of our first shows that I can remember. There was another kid whose dad owned um a pesticide business and it, it was I don't know if you remember that venue but it was in a it was just in an industrial park that had one of those storage units that just like the door just slides up and that's that was the venue and it was called the pesticide because there was literal pesticide uh, oh my God. like chemicals in there and we would just fucking play you know what I mean probably huffing all this shit in or whatever yeah um but I, that was one of the another one of the first venues we played at um and what was that band called so a couple of bands I played in growing up. One was called Cries for Vengeance. That one I played. That one I played <laughs> guitar in. Another uh-huh. one was called Sydney Raven. Another the one. Oh my God! Until this is what it was. Until death we part. That's that was the <laughs> exactly, exactly that kind of like, as like, hope dies, like all yeah. that kind of. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and it's like you were like okay until death to us part is too many words so let's cut one of the like well it was it was exactly it was interesting because i was like 13 or 14 at the time um which was always like a spectacle because it would be like these normal people who are uh, you know like 19 you know what i mean 20 years old playing in bands and then all of a sudden there's like this literal child on stage and people are like what is who is that and what is he doing here? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's like, that was kind of like our, like, it was almost like a sideshow. You know what I mean? It was almost like a freak show where I was like, oh, let's go, you know, there, oh, that's the band with that kid drummer. Um, sure. And so, you know, at that time I didn't give, I didn't give a shit what the band was called. You know, it, it yeah, could have been called Dickhead and the Assholes. And I would have been like, yes, that sounds great. You know, and yeah. I just wanted to play. So I don't, I don't know if I had too much, <laughs> too much input over the band name, but I know at the time I fucking loved it and I thought it was awesome. Were you was your brother in all these bands with you? Just the one, just that just one. The one, okay. Yeah, because he he was he he didn't fall. He didn't come down the same path that I did. Like he loved like metalcore bands and shit, but he was more like he loved like punk and that that skate punk shit because it sure. uh, because of its its technicality. Like he was, and he loved metal because of its technicality. Like he couldn't he couldn't get into hardcore because it just didn't challenge him like enough instrumentally you know what i mean so yeah he he that band was probably as far as he went and then he was kind of like ah this isn't for me and they just went back his own way so that makes sense that makes yeah. sense um what do you remember from uh from playing those early shows like and and was it scarier or or more fun to play drums or guitar 
drums was more fun. I mean, to this day, like drums are just awesome because it's literally like just beating the shit out of this, you know what I mean? Out of this thing that like, I don't know. It, it's, it's, um, I love drums. I love it. Yeah. And, and I don't play them nearly as much as I, as, as I want to, but, um, yeah, drums of drums has always been most fun. And to this day, I would probably say drums as well, but yeah. Uh, then what was the thing that made you want to start singing in a band and was stick to your guns the first band you sang in? Yes. And I never wanted to sing in a band. So when, when I started, uh, stick to your guns, my brother had just gotten like uh pro tools, like he had just gotten this money, he saved up all this money and got these like really shitty mics. And, uh, and so stick to your guns was kind of born out of like, Hey, I just got all this new stuff. Let's, let's record some stuff. And, um, I had these stupid songs and the very first stick to your guns demo was me doing all of the instruments. I played drums oh, wow. and then I played gu- guitars over them and then bass. Um, and then I waited, I held off on singing because I was like, I want to play guitar in this band. Um, I didn't want to sing. And then we tried to find people, tried to find people, tried to find people, couldn't find anyone. And then, so I just did, I just did vocals. And then me and my friend Noah, who was in the band at the very beginning, he was just like, let's go to shows. And we passed them out, you know, the normal, the normal thing. Um, and then our first show came, came up, which was at, uh, club Pearl in Lake forest. I don't know if you remember that place, but it was like, it wasn't a hardcore place. It was like, uh, obviously club Pearl, but it was like, it was like a night. It was like a weird nightclub. It was really strange. Um, but I think now it's like a Buffalo wild wings or some shit right off like Lake forest drive. Um, but, um, yeah, that was, that was our first show there. And, I wasn't, again, I wasn't supposed to sing. I was only supposed to play guitar, but the show was coming up and I was just like, we'll find a singer, we'll find a singer, we'll find a singer. And then Noah's like, I don't think we're going to find a singer. And all the other dudes who were in the band said, we're saying the same thing. So I just sang. But it, it was really, even after the, even going into the recording the first album and after, I was like, to me, I was always like, this is all temporary. Like, I'm not the guy to be doing this. I want to play guitar. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, we found, and then we eventually found a guy, and a bunch of drama happened, and then he never even he never even ended up doing it. And then after after all this fucking dumbass drama, I was just like, okay, I, I think I'm supposed to sing in this band. So, right. I t- but I never really, I I never really, I think in a weird way, especially now looking back, I never really assumed the position of singing in Stick to Your Guns until probably honestly like LP three. Like that's wow. when I was like, okay, I'm the singer now. You know what I mean? Like, like I always had this like one waiting. foot in, one foot out. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? So, sure. yeah. Um, what do you remember though from singing on stage for the first time? Was that like a terrifying experience? Like, oh, did you awful. did you fall into it? Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. I, I hated it. It. It, didn't make, I, I, it didn't make you want to be like, all right, this is all right. Yeah, and and and. You know, I think the one thing that really helped me was the fact that like what was so cool about hardcore, especially at that time, and I I had played in so many bands, and like I said, I had kind of like grown it's, it, it, only in my little area, only in my little tiny little scene down there in South Orange County. I had kind of like built a name because like I had been involved for so long, um, and even like when Six Year Gun started, I was like end of 16 17 and i had already been doing bands for a couple years before that and that so that kind of like built up this weird kind of credibility for me and so like you know especially when you're all starting it you always have this big group of friends and so like for our first show 
there was like 110 people and it was just a bunch of people who I knew, I knew and like were so supportive even before even hearing anything, you know? And so that I think made the like getting on stage and doing that kind of shit, um, really it made it a lot easier i felt sure. you know people were just so You're like a little yeah, insulated yeah. exactly exactly like feeding back and then my friends just immediately start pitting it's just like oh this is gonna go well you know what i mean it's like yeah, 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 it was yeah, a yeah. super it was a super uh supportive uh foundation that i had so it was it was i'm really grateful for that that was awesome you mentioned that the first stick to your guns thing was was like all you playing all the instruments with your previous bands had you gone and recorded before and I was just curious what your first recording experience was like. My first recording experience was with Rolly. Um, okay. And, I, you know, I remember I was pulling up being 14. I remember he looked at me because he's a drummer as well. Um, okay. And he was just like, you, you know, he was he was very much just like, this is in, this is garbage. You know what I mean? Like this is all of this is trash, but like, Hey, they're paying me, you know what I mean? And like, I'm trying to be a, a studio guy, so I'll do it. He was as nice as he could have been for probably how annoying we were. Um, and now we're great friends. I mean, he literally just recorded me yesterday. So, yeah. he, you know, he he's, we've been friends for a very long time. And so it's, it's funny seeing, you know, being friends with people like that still and being like, dude, you recorded the very first thing I ever did. Sure. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was cool. Okay. Uh, where are you at now? Um, as recording, like, do you, do you like the process? Do you enjoy being in the studio? That's a loaded question. <laughs> That's a loaded question. I think it, I'm afforded more freedom, which is nice. Like if I show up and I'm, and I don't want to, I can't for whatever reason that day, that's okay. Whereas back in the day, you know, it was like, Hey, we are spending the most money we've ever even heard of before. And Time we have, money. Yeah. you have eight days. There is no such thing as I don't, you know, like there is no such thing as like baby doesn't want to today. Like you just don't have that. You just do it, you know? Um, sure. so for these last two records, you know, when we're working with like, kind of like bigger budgets and things like that. And, and, and we now know to give ourselves time, you know what I mean? Like for those, give yourself some breathing room and, and make sure like you give yourself time to listen back to things and make sure what you're doing is actually good and, and, and that kind of shit. Um, but the last experience was really, uh, was really great. So what about, uh, what was the first tour you ever did? Was that with secure guns or was that with one of the earlier bands? Oh, for sure. With secure guns. Yeah. And it was some, you know, we went to like Reno, you know what I mean? Like from between orange County and Reno, we probably played like four or five shows and it was, uh, in someone's parents minivan or whatever and so that was uh was it just you guys like yeah. you booked it yourself like playing the local uh, bands up there us and us and a friend's band um i forget what the band was i might even still have the tour pass from it but that was maybe like 2000 the end of 2003 maybe okay when that was yeah, yeah yeah do you do you remember uh like getting the bug for it like did you enjoy it and then kind of similar follow-up question to uh to what I asked you just a second ago about recording, like where are you at now these days with touring? Like, do you enjoy it uh, as much as maybe you did when you were younger or how do, how do you sort of navigate that these days? Well, I don't, I, I don't know what it's like for touche, but like, I definitely need a level of comfort on tour now in order to make it like it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if I'm going to be away from my situation for, for eight weeks, it has to be comfortable. Like if it's not like if you know what I mean, because you, I'm sure you've, you've been in the position many times on tour where it's just seeming like, you know, um, 
you're just getting dumped on. You know what I mean? Like you're just getting absolutely your ass beat. And like, you're just like, get me the fuck out of this. Like I, I can't have those situations on tour anymore. They have to be as minimized as possible. Obviously shit happens and there's just going to be like shit you got to deal with. You know what I mean? But sure. like, I, I want to try to make sure now I'm as, or we as a unit are as absolutely prepared for when those things happen as humanly possible. Totally. Um, and I don't know if that's me got getting softer because like back in the days when we were younger and touring, it was just a pirate's life. You know what I mean? It was just like literally strung together with like, we need to make 80 bucks at least tonight at, on this show so we can have enough gas to get to the next city. I, I think I do miss that pirate's, uh, that pirate's life sometimes. Um, uh, but I still get my fill sometimes on tour of, of that kind of shit. But um, I don't know which one I like more. I like I like them each for different reasons. You know what I mean? Like I like the fact that I can still tour and that we have like a crew that's going to help us set up. Like especially in Europe where we're a much bigger band than we are here. It's like we have a crew who's going to help us set up, which affords me time to be able to go into Berlin or go into Amsterdam or go into Milan or or wherever and go do go just go have a day. You know what I mean? Like yeah, so that yeah, part yeah. of touring, the, 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 this more modern kind of touring that secure guns now kind of partakes in is, uh, is much better. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I figure it'd be, it'd be kind of fun to like, just quickly, uh, talk about, uh, certain records and stuff because I, 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 as a podcast host as, and as a music nerd, um, I really enjoy talking to people about um, certain producers and stuff they've worked with. Like, I feel like that's always like a fun conversation. 100%. Um, but, uh, but something that is really fascinating that I'm curious if you realize, do you know that your first record that's on Sumerian was actually the s- second record that my guitar player, Nick ever designed? <laughs> Holy shit. The, yeah. um, which wh- the, uh, for, for comes from the heart worth. or for what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. For so, so this is funny because it's actually – I remember going to his house and like d- like he was designing – so here's what happened. That that yeah. album, for what it's worth, was actually Stick to Your Gun's first album. Yeah, but, but it was put out – Exactly. So it was re-released by Sumerian and Sumerian was like, you got to do something with the artwork here. Like we can't use this old artwork. We need new updated artwork. And yeah. so and I didn't I didn't know how to – you know what I mean? I didn't sure. know how to do any of that shit. And so yeah. Nick, I guess, was sug- – that's so funny that was him i had no idea yeah Um, it's it's because i think you guys uh did work together for a minute but it but he you guys ended up going a different route whatever whatever the situation was on a record a few a few records ago yeah exactly and he he was like and i was like does he know that you you did the first record he was like i didn't bring it up but but he was like but, (laughs) uh, but that was the that was the second record and i think that was because he had a relationship with Sumerian because the very first record Nick ever designed was the first faceless album. That is, is really so funny. funny. It's funny seeing from like, that's a, such a, that's such a funny trajectory. Like him, like kind of, I mean, I don't know when he started, but like, you know, him doing that kind of stuff to where he is now, where he's, he's the, I mean that he's the kid's a fucking genie. And I'm sure you know that obviously you let him do just about everything with touche. I imagine. Yeah. Um, he does everything, but he's yeah, also he's now unbelievable. Now vice president of creative at Capitol Records, which is you know like the and craziest the, thing. I think the thing too with 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 and this isn't even like a justification for not going with him for that for because I know what it was like it was for disobedient. He he is so much more um, visual in the sense of like packaging, like a whole like he's kind oh, of three yeah. D in his in in the way that he views 
album art and I'm just not my to me it's just like record cover. What what are you worrying sure. about the what are you worrying about the the bottom of the spine putting in like a hidden little you know what I mean I was it was like he's like so intricate all, you know exactly yeah. and I think at that time I was like I just I just can you make what a record cover, cover like <laughs> exactly yeah. you know what I mean and so he was probably like these motherfuckers don't know what they're doing you know what I mean so <laughs> um but yeah he's he the kids like he's yeah, insane but it's it's I, I just figured that's I was so talking funny though. Yeah, the set, that was the second thing he ever did, and and it's funny. I look at it, I'm like, yeah, you could tell that you were, you know, obviously <laughs> this is this is clearly very early on for you, and he'd be the first to to tell you that. That's um, so funny. Where did your relationship with Sumerian start? Because I even just like looking at your record releases, I you know, it's fascinating that the seemingly the second one was Century Media, then you went back to Sumerian for a couple records, right? Is that kind of what happened? Yeah, it's exactly what happened. I I, I um. Ray actually plays a pretty big role, Ray Harkins, in Ray going Harkins. from from uh, Sumerian to Century Media because I think Ray – I think Abacus did fold, but Ray was like, hey, I'm going to Sumerian. And we were kind of just like, all right, we'll just follow you there because mine and Ray's relationship really grew close because not only was there like the Ignite cosign, but like Ray was in Taken, another huge like influence on – not just stick to your guns, but like me as a developing, like, you know, hardcore metalcore kid. So I, I just felt like I was in really safe, safe hands when things started getting fucked up with Sumerian or sorry, with century. It it was because like, it it was when Ray kind of, I don't want to say disappeared from the, from the picture, but it was almost just like Ray brought us in. And then the, the, the century meeting machine was like, all right, now we'll take it from here. And Ray's, Ray's hands really got, off of it you know what i mean and that's when like there was all sorts of like weird i signed a co-pub deal you know it's shit that definitely it's weird we talk about this all the time like me and my partner tom because we run a record label as well it's like things become so normalized and things that are incredibly predatory or 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 overly exploitative become normal you know what i mean so it's hard to look back in hindsight and be like what the fuck that's fucked up. But it's like, no one was telling me that, you know what I mean? I had no one, you know what I mean? My lawyer was the lawyer of the label. Like that's a straight up conflict of interest. You know what I mean? And like, I'm an, I'm an 18 year old child and I'm, I'm having a fucking, a publishing guy go like, sign this piece of paper and we'll give you $10,000. And I was just like, $10,000. Oh, that means I'm retired now. You know what I mean? Because it's like <laughs> 10 grand when you're 18 and have no money so much money you you think you're gonna live off that for decades um yeah and so i signed that thing and it was a co-pub deal which was it it was like one of the worst mistakes i probably made in my in my career to give this 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 company that much control over my publishing um yeah because as you know that's where a lot of a majority of the money gets gets made yeah was it was it for a time period or is it or is it still exists now it it, it was it was for it was for a time period which ended up again biting me in the ass because then what happened was when we left century media it followed me back over to sumerian right and then we released hope division which was still under that publishing contract then we released diamond which was our biggest album at the time you know because even diamond sold like that was at the end of band's selling still selling like albums but like diamond sold like 
you know, 40, 50,000 albums. And for, for a hardcore, for like a metal, small metalcore brand, that's gigantic. And Huge. so it's like, I got none of, you know what I mean? I got none of that. And it went to this publishing company and it was just like, Ugh. our manager at the time showed me, I don't know why he would do this, but just because we had a very, we were really, we are, or we're really, really close. So he just showed it to me because he thought it was funny. He goes, this is how much money you would have made. And here's that $10,000 that you did make. And it's just like, so this is why we don't sign you know, stuff yeah. without getting it checked on. So yeah, that was a whole, a whole learning messy, lesson. yeah, a terrible huge, learning lesson. huge learning lesson. And honestly, a, probably a huge reason why I wanted to start a, a record label like, like the one that I have just one that is truly artist friendly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, not, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, uh, so real quick with, with like looking at just like, I have, I have the list of your records and like some notes here with, I, I am, I like that. It's like, you did that second record with Zeus, the third record you did with Jason Livermore, who's like the, the, the partner to bill stevenson at the blasting room right 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 and then the fourth record you did with bill stevenson um i mean a we obviously at the beginning of this conversation we were talking about the descendants and like how important yeah they were. exactly then eventually you get to do a record with them and then you mentioned that's your biggest record um what attracted you to that to wanting to go to the blasting room was it simply i'm a big descendants fan this will be cool or was it records they were doing at the time out of there that were exciting you maybe both for sure, well for, for sure both for sure both yeah. like uh rise against I, I, obviously comes to mind that that was it that that was yeah. really the band because like if the way we try to explain our band now is we try to go it's if hate breed met rise against you know what i mean like that's how we try to describe what stick to your guns is um yeah, no, exactly. And I, I think because even like how I mentioned before, like I always had this, I'm the placeholder vocalist. And once we went, once it was like, okay, after all that madness of the album, the first album coming out and then the the uh, Century Media shit and the, the contracts and all that shit. Like I, we went to Zeus. I love Zeus and I think he's awesome producer, but that for me was more of a move of like, what would be best for stick to your guns? You know what I mean? Like what would be a big move for stick to your guns? Um, cause I was always thinking of it in those kinds of terms for like when I'm not singing anymore and we get our real singer, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, w- I was always doing that. Like, I don't know what it was. And hope division was that, that clear, that first, that album right there, that time between those two records was when I made that decision. Like, okay, I'm now the singer stick to your guns. So what do I want to do? Okay. I want to go to the blasting room. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I want to do. And so that's when I, I think I, I even started taking the band a hell of a lot more seriously or assuming my role a hell of a lot more seriously, I guess I should say. Um, and is Which that because you like the way the vocals were recorded from there? Like, like you knew that Bill would understand like me- like vocal melodies and things like that. Yes, because I know that that he was huge in that, and and we were actually supposed to go in with Bill with that first record, but that's when he was having his his uh his he had his brain tumor, right? And so he wasn't able to be there because he was like. I mean, we were hearing stories from the dudes at the studio and it, 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 he, man, he, he went through a lot of, he totally. went through a lot of shit, like really dark, you know, stuff because you have this thing in your head that's pushing on your brain. It literally turned him into a different person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they were recognizing like it was, it's, it, it's kind of a crazy story. I don't know how much of it I'm allowed to tell, but like, I'll, I'll say what I can, I know what I can is like they were like, dude, this guy's changed. Like they didn't know what was going on pre them knowing he had a brain tumor. Jason was telling me like, yeah, he would just come in. And like, I was just like, 
I don't even recognize this guy anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? And then, then, you know, his, his family was saying the same shit. And then once they found out they had a brain tumor, it was like, Oh, you know what I mean? Like this thing is literally changing his behavior because it's like pushing on parts of his brain and his head that are fucking with his, his whole life. And then once he got it removed, they were like, they just said, he just instantly went back to bill. You know what I mean? Like he's the goofiest motherfucker on the planet. We would be in the kitchen and we wouldn't even have seen him yet. Like it would be in the beginning of the day and he would come in and be like, Hey guys, and then just run away like he's just a fucking 18 year old like goof you know what i mean like that's all yeah but what also was a funny a funny part of that experience was like his world was like we blew his world open because he didn't work with our kinds of bands before he never really did you know what i mean like oh that comeback kid record wake the dead that was a, like that had just come out and he they had done that record. So that right. was another huge reason. You know what I mean? It was like, OK, they do rise against, which is insane. And they yeah. just did this record that, you know, at the time was like changing hardcore. You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. So um, those two like those two things were a huge reason why we decided to to, to go there. Um, but but he would come in sometimes and be like, have you guys heard this band as L.A. dying? Or like, have you guys just heard this band Misery Signals? Like he didn't know like double bass at all. Like he, you know what I mean? Like he would hear George, our drummer be like, and he would be like, how are you? Like he was just, yeah, exactly. He, 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 he was awesome. But we were for, for, it was more us teaching him than him teaching us. We were very That's familiar amazing. with everything he had done, but he didn't know about our world. You know what I mean? I want to ask you real quick, how crazy was working with, uh, with John, John Feldman? I feel like whenever anyone goes to him, there's like an, I almost correct me if I'm wrong. I almost feel like when people go to him, there is this expectation of what the record is going to be. You know what I'm saying? Like it becomes like, Oh, this is going to be a big, you know, pop record or like a pop punk record or something like that. Um, what was that experience like? And like, did, uh, you know, you talk about you sort of, had to introduce Bill to a lot of sonic sounds that your band was doing. Like was, was John Feldman pretty like familiar with what you guys were trying to do? He was familiar with it in essence, but I don't think he was familiar with it. I mean, this is a dude who like, you know, he got his, like he got his house raided by the fucking FBI with like animal liberation being too closely connected with like ALF people. You know what I mean? Like he understands what we do in essence. Um, But like there were, there definitely were times when it like, Cause like I said, like we are, a, we are a pretty big mix of a band like Hatebreed and a band like, Hatebreed, band like yeah. Rise Against, you know what I mean? So w- when any of the heavy shit came along, he was always just like, oh, you guys go do that. Like I'll do this. You know what I mean? Like he had no care at all with the heavy side of, of our band, uh, he was sonically on the choruses and stuff with Ex- you probably. That's exactly right. Um, oh man. I'll try to keep it short, but working with him in general started as the biggest nightmare uh, imaginable and then ended up getting to a place, a really, really good place. Um, And yeah, I think he has a very specific way of working that is that was unconventional to us at the time. But now that now that I've kind of seen the curtain kind of pulled back on like how like pop songs are written i think it's a very conventional way of working for a lot of the music industry um which is just like don't think just do and if it's catchy it's good and if it's not 
why are we even working on it? You know what I mean? Like, just let, like, let's just try to get this shit done. Uh, and now with the, the new record, which just came out, what, last Friday? Was it? Mm-hmm. Spectre yeah, just, it, exactly. I, I don't know if I caught, who did you guys actually do this new record with? So this was a, a guy named Drew Folk, uh, who's in right, right here in Little Armenia. Um, and he, 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 he was awesome because like I said, like I have, I have a, I, I said this before, but I, I have a, I have a group of friends across the spectrum is when it comes to stick to your guns, some people who really like it, some people who are completely neutral and just don't care at all. And then some people who are like, yeah, I don't like that band at all. Um, but one thing I think that they all kind of, uh, agree on, uh, it together is that like stick to your guns live and stick to your guns on recording are two different things. Like, like historically speaking, at least. Sure. And so when we went, when we went in with drew, that was like a huge, um, that was like a huge goal of ours is to whatever, whatever happens with us live needs to happen on this record. And I, and I think it comes back to like our conversation from before where it's like, we are, we are all hardcore kids, you know what I mean? But we are playing a genre that isn't straightforward hardcore. Uh, we're playing a more of like a fringe genre that exists under the umbrella. And, um, but when we play live, we do bring that like hardcore element there that a lot of people feel, um, which I think is what makes us a great hardcore, uh, a great like uh, gateway band, you know what I mean? But we wanted to get that sound or capture that thing on record. Um, and I think that drew did a really great job for what I think is the first time kind of capturing that, like, um, maybe an edge, I guess without sounding too corny, like capturing an edge that maybe we were missing. You know what I mean? What do you so think? He, that, he did a great yeah. job. What do you think that was? Like what, like if you were to try to figure out what that piece was, is that something that you think you can even like explain? I think, yeah, maybe it was being, maybe it was us being more deliberate. Like when we go into the studio, there is a little bit of like a, everyone's a little nervous. And so it's like, everyone's a little bit like insecure, like playing their parts. What is like, was that good? You know what I mean? And I think what was, a, what changed on the new record is everyone went in and was like, fuck yeah, here's the job. Here's the riff. Fucking play it. I get behind the mic, do the thing. Like we all just like did it and we weren't insecure about what we were doing we we didn't ask ourselves like oh is the label gonna think x y and z or is our our, our, are our fans gonna think this it was more just like let's just go do what we do and and it's like live we all tour so much so live we are in our comfort zone completely you're locked in yeah you know what i mean it's like so that's why i think there's that thing it's like there's that comp confidence really ultimately i think now is what i'm realizing is like we, I think we lack a certain confidence in the studio that we don't lack live. Um, and I think it was just trying to bring that confidence to the studio. You know, I think that was probably the biggest, the biggest thing. That's awesome. How long did this record take to make? Were you, was it like, uh, something that was spread out over, you know, the, yeah, about five, the, five weeks, five. Okay. So it wasn't like kind of like a pandemic record where you guys were no, on no, and no. on and off. Like, okay. It was like, well, a deliberate we finished thing. it. We finished it in December 2019. Oh, wow. And it just came. Yeah. yeah. So we've been sitting so on this on fucking it. thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it was supposed to come out 2020. That was the goal. Like, have a record for 2020. Because yeah. um, our last one came out, I think, 2017. So we're like, okay, yeah. three years. That's perfect. I mean, looking uh, at yeah, looking at your yeah. discography, you're a band that has pretty steadily, for the most part, put out a record every two years. So yeah, exactly. seeing that jump. I mean, I saw that there was an EP between the last yeah. one. Yeah. Kinda. Um, but, that was like a placeholder, like acoustic bullshit. Totally. But yeah, yeah. Something to, you know, 
make it look exactly. like you're busy. Make it look like you're paying. It's, you're, you're not totally giving up. Um, you get it. You get how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, damn, was that hard for you to navigate, like, waiting that long? I mean, I, you know, it was it was pretty commonplace for a band to wait a year, but you guys waited a couple years. Was that, was oh, that tough? Oh, for sure. It it was tough just because obviously like you create this thing and you're excited and you're you're uh, you want it you want people to hear it right but but I think with with the fact that stick to your guns we we tour so much and that is such a big part of pushing our record to the world is to actually touring on it so it, it because we're such a like a touring band like that exactly the idea was let's just wait till we can tour uh where because because i even use the excuse where it's like we released my label my other people records the label that i have we released that that gleamer album down through during the pandemic and it was a very big release for the band and so i i was like this might be the perfect time to release an album because i just released this album and it was like insane people are Um, craving something to do to buy people just there's something to be said about when you're when you're in a in a low place inside and just getting that that uh the dopamine hit of pre-ordering a record. Oh, like, 100%, 100%. It was it was a thing. Exactly. And like that's what I thought. Like I thought like okay, well maybe let's use that to our advantage. Like let's let's use like let's like kind of like um what's the word I'm thinking like capitalize on this moment that people are sitting around um and want something new exactly 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 you know and and you know yeah exactly so but i think the right move was to wait so i'm in the end i'm glad i think we'd made the i think we made the right decision absolutely absolutely um and now that it's out how do you feel like are are you is this weight off of you like does it feel like the end of this journey finally (laughs) not really i mean it kind of feels like i mean we just beginning of it yeah kind of in a weird way uh it was nice. I had com- almost completely disconnected myself from the record and I had already gone on, you know, I, I, we did a ways away record. I, I did another, I have another project. I wish you were here. I did a wish you were here record in the time that we were waiting to really like, I, so I was, I have the bookstore, I have the record label. So it's like, I almost disconnected myself from stick to your guns until I got the, I got the word from the boys upstairs or whatever, uh, that we were going to push like, okay, resume, like the resume button, you know? And once we resumed then I was like, okay, cool. And then we got the record out. People responded to it well. And so it helped me reconnect with, with stick to your guns. You know what I mean? So that's awesome. uh, Yeah. I'm grateful for that. But yeah. Uh uh, I, yeah. Wanted to talk a little bit about a ways away. Um, I love the band lineup that you have I actually just ended up having dinner with uh sergi the other day oh, awesome. Uh, awesome. <laughs> who's an absolute character uh insane person i love him yeah he's f- so and you also have jared shavelson yep. uh playing drums funny the first time that i think i like watched watched you guys play uh we were on a show together in europe this was so long ago but it was like one of those things that i think it was promoted as a festival but it was like just in a venue but it was like it, it zurich was H- switzerland i remember yes it was with h2o you guys i'm assuming voices fire because jared was there we played but i remember i was funny i was standing with jared while you were playing and he i think had just seen you guys for the first time <clears throat> and like recently and he was like fucking floored by stick to your guns like, like he couldn't believe stick to your guns he was like he's like do you know this fucking band and i was like 
I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I was like, I don't know if I've caught them, but I'm from Southern California. So of course, you know, right. Right. And, right. uh, and, and like we were standing together and he was just like losing his mind. It was like the funniest thing. So I love, I love that you guys now playing a band together. I think it's just, very Oh cool yeah. Fun. Yeah. And then just for me personally too, it's just like him, him being, and I know he's not like an original, uh, boy sets fire person, but the fact that he, yeah, I'm, I, it's just like, that's such a huge band for me. You know what I mean? Like, um yeah so that's yeah. that's also cool yeah after the eulogy is a undeniably perfect record like and i'm so glad that you say that because there's just so many hardcore kids who just either don't fuck with it or like never gave it the time of day or think it's boat. corny or exactly yeah. just w- whatever but it's I, I i i very rarely run into a person who uh enjoys voice it's fire so it's like and I know they used to be a big band too, so it's like I don't where where is everyone? Where where are all the people who loved Voice of Fire? Like I don't yeah, I can't find I them mean, anymore. they're undeniably a massive band in Germany, which like makes a lot of sense. But sure. like, uh, but yeah, man, um, I loved After the Eulogy when it came out. I mean, it was also like a perfect time too because that was like, you know, Victory Records at the time when they were putting out Thursday and bands like right. that. So like, so like that melodic side, like definitely certainly appealed to me and i and i had the record before that as well but um yeah i loved them and funny story uh while working at that record store they recorded the major label record one block away so nathan would come into the store and Uh. kill time and i didn't know it was nathan from boy sets fire until like because he would come in and he'd have like a sick of it all sweatshirt and then one day we started chatting it up behind the counter and then he like dropped it. He was in voice as fire. And I was like, dude, I fucking love your band. So then <laughs> he was like, well, guess what? I have nothing to do all day. Cause I'm the singer and they're recording all the music. So, um, let's just get lunch. So like every day he would stop by, then we'd walk to the mall food court and have lunch and he would just dude. give me the best stories and amazing became pals. Yeah. 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 Uh, great dude. But man, I, I have a funny memory too of, I think the last time we had played mainstream, uh, we were watch. I was watching them from the side of the stage, and Martine, who obviously plays in Terror, is behind. Like, I just hear this guy behind me, like belting out the <laughs> lyrics to like "My Life in the Knife Trade," and I turn around and it's Martine, and I was like, yep. "Fuck yeah!" Fuck See, yeah. that was that was one other person. Martine is like my my confidant of of like weird bands like Boys It's Fire. Uh, of I, I I know Martine's gonna like at least have fucked with some of it if not all of it you know what i mean like he likes a lot of weird bands who you wouldn't imagine a guy like martin liking exactly. and so it i love talking it, music with martin it's awesome it, it, let me tell you of all the people that was belting that out behind me martin was the last person i was expecting it to be and i and we, and we just like laugh we just smiled real big at each other i was like fuck yeah martin that's so um, sick uh and also you did the ways away record with with uh or at least some of the stuff with brad wood right yeah yeah and i i think touche honestly like uh, i don't know who did 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 jared ask you anything about brad like he may or have sergi maybe i think it would probably would have been jared okay uh yeah well, either either way like that was another like oh these are like brad's done some really really cool bands um yeah, I don't know what I don't know what ended up happening. I don't think it's anything like Brad like was getting construction done on his house and like there was he was having like one of his daughters who had just graduated high school moving back. Like there was so much going on in this man's life at yeah. the time that we were trying to record that album that it almost was just like I felt and I think some of the other guys in the band felt like we were being burdensome, you know what I mean? 
Um, and so it was just not the correct environment at the time for, for either of us, to be honest with you. Sure. Uh, and so that's why we ended up going back with Bo who did our first LP, but, oh, okay. um, yeah, he, Bo kind of like just finished it up for us. Um, Got it. But Brad was such an awesome dude. And that's another guy who's just got stories and stories and stories. So. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Man, we joked about having to get an air horn for when he just starts going. Because he'd be like, dude, like, buddy. He does not stop, dude. He does not shut the fuck minutes. up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but and he'll be the first to tell you and so when we did the first record with him we were we just were too polite and we didn't know how to how to get it to stop but then when we went back for the next one we were like okay we're friends now we feel comfortable being like brad we got to get back to work pal no for sure for sure he he's awesome but yeah that's that that I definitely had became him, i haven't had him on the podcast yet and i know i want to but i just know i have to just set aside at least six hours to, oh at uh, least at least get, yeah 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 um real quick uh i love that you do a label um and i love the the it, it seems like how long well how long have you guys actually been doing the label now i mean fuck there's there's how long it's almost like the kind of the same thing as stick to your guns there was like the time where i was just doing it just to do it and then there was the time where i like assumed my role you know what i mean like oh, i yeah. finally kind of put my foot down and i assumed my role but it's been going since like 2014 we, and and i was just putting out really random shit and then not not soon after i started it i brought in tom my, my buddy tom who i do the label with and and that's when things really started to happen because we have two different kinds of brains. I'm a little bit more of the creative side and he's a little bit more of the, like the logistical side. And so that's what we, uh, that's what I was desperately missing is the guy who just wants to do all of the boring shit that I don't want to do. And he's great at that. So, um, it's, a, it's a pretty good working relationship. I feel like our, I do a label called secret voice and I, I you know, what what I what I feel like I see in comparisons between our two labels is also you know both being people who have a full time life making yeah. music as well is that um it seems like your thing also operates as like a less is more sort of thing where for sure like you haven't put out tons and tons of bands neither have I I've done you know like probably like less than twelve bands or something like that. Right. And it's it's because it takes me fully knowing that like I need to be a part of this. I believe in this so much. Like this right. is so exciting or whatever. As opposed to just oh that band sounds cool. Will you put out a record with me? Like <laughs> I, I want to make sure that if I'm devoting my attention to it, like I can give myself so much of it because I believe in this thing so much. And that might be me putting a, putting that on you that you feel the same way. But that's from an outside perspective how it appears to me. That that's one hundred percent what it is, and I think a lot of it, legitimately, like in a, in a different way, is the fact that you and I have very limited resources, right? Where whether those resources be money or even more importantly, those resources being our our time and our time, and yeah. our and our attention and where we can actually put our efforts. And so I I have to make sure that if I'm going to go down, it's very very similar. If I'm going to go down this road with this band, I have to be able to to go down the road with them. You know what I mean? Like we don't have a, an office of A&R people where I can just be like, Hey, you, you deal with it. You know what I mean? Totally. Like I I'm dealing with it. So if I'm going to be, you know, and you're dealing with quite literally people's dreams, which is like a very, um, uh, stressful, that can be a very stressful thing to take on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you never want to be, you never want to put yourself in the position of like, uh, of like, 
being the guy at the label that the band hates. You know what I mean? Like sure. you don't want to be that guy. Like sure. I've had plenty of, I've had plenty of relationships like that with all sorts of different people. And I never want to be that, that person. And I think that I've gotten pretty lucky so far where I haven't been, been that guy. Uh, yeah. I've definitely been that guy a few times. Um, but that's just because you do have to sometimes put on that. You do have to think of things a little bit differently than a band, than a band person, you know? So absolutely. Absolutely. And then, um, how has having a bookstore, uh, been for you? I mean, you know, uh, I, I one day always dreamed about opening up a record shop, but there's like the little things that scared me about it. I was like, Oh man, if I, if I do this, then like I am cementing myself as like living here, you know, yeah, like, there's, sure. like little things like that, that like I've, I've always, but it's like, of course I'm going to live here. I've fucking lived here all my life. What am I like? Why yeah, be of course. of that kind of commitment or something like mm-hmm. that? But um, when I saw that you were doing that bookstore, it got me really psyched because obviously uh, that whole side of your life is so important. Uh, the literature side, the political side, all of that. So like, right. what is, how has it been for you so far? <laughs> like, um, yeah, tell, tell me about that experience. Yeah, it's it's been a crazy learning experience because obviously like the, the, um, Six Year Guns has always been a band that spoke about things politically, um, and I think a lot of bands that who 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 are political bands um, sometimes make the how do I say this? They think that what they're doing is like important for their political movement, and although it is, you know what I mean. Like you know, there's a very famous quote by um, Allende, which was there is no revolution without songs. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to deny that, like playing songs and talking about certain things and, and, and engaging with, with topics that very often get like brushed aside. That is important, but there is a certain praxis side that is missing from music where it's like, I, I felt it was important where it's like, okay, I've had a pretty big mouth about a lot of these things. Now it's time to kind of, especially during this like pandemic where there's, we're not touring. I think it's going to be important for me as well, just for my own, my own personal self to walk the line as well now, like not just talk about it, but actually try to do something about it. And that was the attempt. Like that's what the project of all power books is. It's like trying to put a little bit more behind the words that I've been saying for, for, for so many years. And so all power books operates more as like a community space than a bookstore. We definitely have books there. Um, and we, we have a book club that meets every week and we, we, you know, we do all sorts of things, but we, we are mostly a community space that offers uh, weekly produce, uh, for, for people who need groceries in the neighborhood, um, school supply drives. We have a free clinic that we started, um, and, you know, all sorts of things like that. And, and we, we tow a very specific political line. Like you're not going to come into all power books and find, um, a whole bunch of different author, author, authors, uh, talking about a whole bunch of different things. That's, yeah, yeah. You're not finding that's not the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we, uh, yeah, it's, 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 that's how we've, that's how we've operated. And it's been amazing to see this, this kind of little community that we've been able to build. Um, and the way that we've actually been able to help people like, you know, it's, it's very eye opening seeing how the average working class person from Los Angeles uh, has to navigate their life. You know what I mean? Like it's LA is a very unique city. Um, There's, there's not a single city that I've traveled to or been to that has, has, has ever come close to anything like it. And I think uh, a, a big problem that exists in Los Angeles is that, is that, because there's so much money here and because of the kind of city that it is as far as like entertainment um, and what it offers the world, uh, 
a lot of people do forget that people live here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they think it's like, oh, Disneyland. You know what I mean? Like that that's what LA is. You know, we go to the beach, we get our acai bowls. Um, I know you were just talking about that. I'm a huge fan of acai bowls, so I don't mean that <laughs> any sort of I don't mean that in any sort of condescending no. way, but you know what I mean? It's like yes. you go, yes. you go there to eat, you go there to 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 be close to food, movie stars and all exactly. Got, you get yeah. it. All we that get the shit. weather. Exactly. Yeah. All that shit. And so people, you know, people often forget that. And, and it's incredibly hard, uh, for the average person to, to, to live in Los Angeles. And, um, the door, the pandemic really kind of bust the door wide open on that for a lot of people. And, you know, we were able to kind of peek behind the curtain and see how, how things really are. And yeah, I don't know that that's, we exist to try to offer some sort of relief to, to, to folks who need it, no matter what it may be, whether it's just someone coming in off the street and just needs someone to talk to. Um, but we also, we drive people to the DMV to get their, to get their, their new license if they need that. Like there, there, there's no shortage of things that if someone from Los Angeles who needs help with just about anything, if you need help, you can come in there and we will do our absolute best to help you directly or point you in the direction of someone who can, you know, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been a really cool. It's been a really cool thing. Yeah. How long you've been operating now? You it's has it been a year yet? Just a little over a year. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. And uh, just for the sake of shouting it out, where where in Los Angeles is it exactly? So it's 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 uh, La Brea and Adams Street. So like I said, it's like if you're going down La Brea, right when you go south of the ten, you make a left on Adams, and we're right there. Awesome. Um, yeah. So it's uh. It's, it's, it's really cool. And we're expanding as well. Like we just got the space next door to us as well. So it's, it's been cool to see, like, uh, you know, I was like, who's going to want like this socialist meetup place? You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know who the fuck was even going to want anything like that. And it's, uh, I have to ask, you probably have some very, do you have regulars that come in that have no, um, idea, idea about what, or like what? about what you're doing basically what i'm getting at is so when i worked at the record shop we would have people that come in every day to talk to us that had never bought a cd in their life but sure they, sure they became regulars because they just wanted someone to talk to during the day and they were interesting people and it was always kind of like a hey there's so and so it's like no you know, sure it's the regulars like from watching cheers like you know what i'm saying it's like th- that's what happens when you have a brick and mortar no matter what and especially if you're like in, in any sort of a book uh movie music any of that sort of thing like it'll just attract those people to come in because they feel like they can have a discourse with someone no matter what a thousand percent i think i think a lot of the the unhoused people who come in are um it's really it's really interesting i'll say this so our our street the uh on adams there it's it's we are in west boulevard crypt territory right so the crypts have a pretty uh big like uh that's their turf that's their area and they've come in to the shop and saw what we were doing and they donate to us sometimes if if it's crips who are maybe dealing you know are are poor they'll take resources like we work fairly closely with this uh this group and i and, and what's interesting is poor people especially poor black folks in in um uh los angeles this isn't over their head. And a lot of people think that a lot of people are like people, there are, there are certain people in Los Angeles who get upset with our presence with where, with, with, with what we're doing. They think that our politics when, when, when coming to things like communism or socialism go 
they think that that's too radical for the neighborhood. But what a lot of people are not remembering is that the Black Panthers in Los Angeles was a massive movement. And when they were ultimately, when the Black Panthers were um, kind of dissolved because of the FBI and the CIA and things like this, a lot of them ended up turning to like uh, other kinds of organizations like these ones that we're talking about. So black people and, and, and they, they know all about this kind of stuff. They know all about socialism. They know all about communism. They know all about the Panthers. They know all about the free food programs, all of these things. This isn't too radical for anyone. It might be too radical for white people for sure. No doubt. You know what I mean? But like it's, it's, it's condescending to think that these poor black folks or these poor Brown folks don't get it as if the Zapatistas aren't a part of their culture or as if the Panthers aren't a part of their cultures. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's very condescending to think that and 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 again i'm not saying that's what you were thinking but of course uh, you, you know what i mean but it's like there are fo- there are like white anarchists in los angeles who think that what we're doing is is like harmful you know what i mean they, or they call they they think that we're like maybe gentrifying a neighborhood because they don't understand what gentrification is right it's like sure. we're not we're not extracting wealth from a neighborhood and then taking it and living off of it ourselves down down the road or in another state yeah, yeah, yeah. we're quite literally selling things and then that money is going directly back into the into the neighborhood you know what i mean so it's 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 the opposite of gentrification but anyway um so we had this we had this segment on KTLA where they talked about a lot of the things that we were doing, and this woman found out about us from that, and she asked if if uh, she came by and she asked if we would come and and clean out her shed, help her clean out her shed and stuff because she's an eighty year old woman who who didn't have a lot of help, and she was like, if you come and help me clean out my shed, if there's anything in there that you think you could use for donations, then you can take them. So I, I spent a couple days with this woman, Mrs. Harris, who uh, she was living down in South Central and. Um, you know, she was a, she's an 80 year old woman. She taught sixth grade her entire life. And, um, you know, she used to be married to a Panther and she talked all about that. She had three kids with this person. And, and it was, it's just amazing the connections that I've made and like how much these people are rooted in this, this idea of community and this sense of like, okay, we got to share everything amongst us. We have to look out for each other. We got to do all, you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, I, I as a as a as a leftist online it's easy to get sucked into the like well actually what mark said when he said this was and it's like all that kind of fucking nonsense and it's like i do like that kind of nerdy kind of back and forth uh talking about those kinds of things but when we're putting the, these the theory into praxis it's a completely different ball game and the politics become very simplified and it's it's when you're talking with working class people who, especially those who are scared of things like words like socialism or communism, you find out really quickly that they're actually not scared of socialism and communism. And they actually very much believe in those tenets and those, and that ideology. It's just red scare propaganda that they've been fed their entire lives from the U S empire. Right. Um, because communism and socialism go are in direct conflict for what the U S empire is trying to achieve. So they spend, they spend billions upon billions of dollars lifting up musical artists to go against this, uh, movies, TV shows, everything, everything to push this idea of individualism. Only look out for yourself. Fuck everybody. You got to get mine. You can't worry about anyone else. Just do you. Uh, so that way we don't talk to each other. And that way we don't we don't learn to build a power outside of this structure that we currently have in America. Um, and that's what all, that's what all power really aims to, to, to combat is this idea that we just don't talk to anyone, keep your head down and work. It's like, no, you should lift your chin up and you should talk to your neighbor. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. That, 
that's our, those are our politics in our most simple form, right? Is, is my mother warm? Can my father eat? Can my sister read? And can my brother walk? That's it right there. Boom, done. We don't got to get into talking about China. We don't got to get into talking about Cuba. We don't got to talk about anything else. That's it. That's what all power aims to, to, um, to answer those questions. Is my mother walk? Can my father eat? Can my sister read? Can my brother walk? Those are the questions we're concerned with. And that we want to build a society in which we don't got to worry about those questions. You know what I mean? Right, right. That's so, incredible, man. That's yeah. that's that's truly incredible. I appreciate um, that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Uh well shit, let me hit you with the last question, which yeah, is let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you've been working so hard towards? Recently, honestly, like recent, when I say recently, I mean like literally in the last, like on that last tour we just did, you know what I mean? Because when you tour and I'm sure you've done this, maybe not as much as stick to your guns, but I'm sure you've done a couple tours where they've been back to back to back where you're just like, whoa, this is crazy. You get into that mode where it's just, you don't even look, it's like tunnel vision. It's just like, where are we tomorrow? It's like, you're not even computing the show. You're not computing any of everything that's happening around you. Um, you just kind of get into like, like hyper mode, you know what I mean? It's almost like that movie click. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but, (laughs) but you know what I mean? It really, like, really that movie scared the shit out of me because I was like, Whoa, I do this. I just go into like sleep mode because I just, I'm just constantly thinking about the next thing, you know? And it wasn't until recently. And I was doing an interview actually with someone who was like, okay, so, and they basically laid out all of the achievements that six year guns had, had had in the last 15 years. And I was like, holy shit like in that moment i was like damn like young jesse that is the person now young jesse is the the that 13 year old jesse who was lugging his drums up the you know onto the hoagie bar michael stage getting ready to play a show (laughs) wanting to be in this moment where i am right now more than anything in the world like that's the person I am now focused on making sure like he is my person where i i i kind of nudge him 13 year old jesse and i go what do you think? Is this cool? You know, and if he says it's cool, then I move forward. Like that's the only person now that I'm concerned with pleasing. You know what I mean? Because Jesse, older Jesse, he's all discombobulated and he's questioning too many things and he doesn't know what the right move is. And you know what I mean? Whereas young Jesse just wanted to do things for the sake of doing them because they were cool. You know what I mean? Or because they made him feel good and alive. You know, it's like, that's the person now that I let lead me, you know? So that's kind of like that's the wisdom that I've picked up from over all the years of doing this shit. It's like just make sure that young kid who poop put me on this path. You know what I mean? He is the one who put me on this path. So he's my boss. He's the one I should be checking in, checking in with more than anyone else. You know what I mean? Like that's the person to make happy. I think it's really easy to forget those things. So I appreciate you sharing that. Both, totally, totally. And and, and you've had a very similar trajectory. So be sure to check in with young Jeremy and be like. That, that dude who was working in the record store and being like, fuck, yeah. damn, I'm crushing it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, man, take care of yourself. You do. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Jesse for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now where Jesse answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can hear that over at patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. All right. Take care of yourselves. Have a happy new year and uh, stay safe. Be good. Bye bye.